Welcome to Keystone Education Radio, the podcast for all things focused on education in Pennsylvania. Now here's your host, Annette Stevenson. Literacy skills are an incredibly important component of any elementary curriculum. When you work in a school district where dozens of languages are spoken among the student population, reaching every child to ensure they are gaining mastery of the English language can be a challenge. Today, I am speaking with Danielle Murray, a lead literacy teacher with the Philadelphia School District, who is seeing the value and results from their unique virtual literacy instruction for students learning English as a second language. Thanks for joining us, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me, and I'm excited to speak out on behalf of all of our students in addition to our English language learners. Great. So could you start by telling us what, telling us a bit about your role within the district and then perhaps sharing some background about your experience teaching English language learners? Absolutely. So currently I'm a school-based teacher leader at Gilbert's Bruins Elementary School, um, and I focus mainly on literacy curriculum from K-8. So my main parts of my job are coaching teachers to make sure that students have the supports that they need to be able to build a strong literacy foundation, whether they are learning from at school and at home. So throughout my 20 years at the School District of Philadelphia, I started as a teacher. I was also, I moved into a specialized position as a reading specialist, and I'm finally finished up as a school-based literacy lead. So I've supported the English language learners in many ways. When I first started with the school district, I taught at a bilingual school. And so our students were fluent in both English and in Spanish. So it was just one main language that we had as a secondary support for our students who were learning English. And so supporting those students would be about bringing in background knowledge. And then as I moved into Spruance Elementary School where our students speak 31 different languages, wow, what a shift that was really. Because it wasn't just Spanish that we could support and our students came from all over the world, not just the Central America location. And so being able to adapt to those students and making sure that how we scaffold our instruction and how we differentiated it for the varied levels of learners was really going to help those students to excel in their growth, not only in their foundational skills, but learning the English language, the print language, the spoken language, and the written language as well. And so was it that early experience that you mentioned before Sprue and Gilbert um, that led you to become a proponent of virtual instruction for students learning English? Where did that come about? So as a leader at Gilbert Stroman's Elementary School, looking at, we have a motto of every kid in every day in every class. And with a third of our students that are English language learners, we kind of had to do something different than we had been doing in the past. So we shifted into this blended learning practice and we got accepted for a blended learning grant and our students in six to eight, we were one to two with technology. So, wow, that was awesome. And then, so we brought in some adaptive programs to help support the instruction. So students were split and they rotated around like three separate groups to make sure that each student kind of got what they needed. Um, so it was teacher-led instruction, it was independent activities, and then it was an adaptive online-based program. And so making sure that each student was getting what they needed in this virtual world before we went to the pandemic piece, right? So mm -hmm. how do we make sure as a teacher and as an educator that I can provide all the students in my room with this instruction? So as a teacher, I'm working with a small group of students or maybe even a third of the class. Now, what are the rest of the students doing? Being able to provide them with those adaptive online programs that are giving them that immediate feedback 
instead of that pencil and paper activity, it's more engaging for the students. They're getting that immediate feedback and they, they can be metacognitive about their thinking about their reading. So they can change their answers. They can switch their thinking a little bit. So that's kind of where we shifted into like this virtual instruction for our students and making sure that it wasn't just all pencil and paper and that we try to move our students into 21st century learning skills. Mm -hmm. And you touched upon this mentioning that this was prior to COVID and kind of the world going virtual and remote. Yeah. So we kind of had like, we had a head start, right? So we had yeah. at least somewhere to begin. So if we didn't know where to begin, we could at least start with using our adaptive programs to help to meet our students' needs because our students knew about the programs. They knew how to navigate. And so if we weren't doing anything, at least we knew in the beginning of the pandemic that our students were having access to this. And we, sh we were showing, you know, we were showing growth using mm -hmm. this blended learning type of model. And then, you know, the pandemic comes along, it kind of just throws us into it. And so if teachers were a little bit reluctant to it, they had no choice but to adapt this style now based mm -hmm. on um, the learning situation of, of the last year and a half. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of the challenges, if there are any, that you'd want to highlight um, of teaching in the virtual space? Wow, so there were so many challenges. So our first challenge that we actually had to face was access. Does everybody have equal access to technology? Does mm -hmm. every student have a Chromebook? And so the district worked really hard to make sure in the beginning that each student had access to technology and had access to Chromebooks. And then once we had that computer in the student's hand, well, do they have access to reliable Wi-Fi? Do they know how to access those hotspots? So that, that did take a little bit of time for everybody to navigate and then making sure that we have all students. How, how do we make sure that all of our students are showing up every day? And then the next thing was like the English language proficiency of our students. So our students really ranged from non-English speakers to completely proficient students. And so for our non-English speakers, it was not only how do I navigate the regular school, but now how do I, am I supposed to navigate these lessons when I'm unable to understand the spoken language that the teacher is telling me? In the real school space, at least we could be hand over hand or we could be modeling and we could showing. So it took some time for kids to be able to A, log on to the Google Meet, B, be able to share their screen. Some of these technical glitches, that was really hard at first for our students. And then as we continue to move forward and some of the other difficult challenges were the changes and now, so we were all virtual and then we went to hybrid instruction. And mm -hmm. so we went through a period of about three or four months where we were constantly changing schedules. Okay, this is our schedule for this week. This is our schedule for that week. So the predictability pattern of what kids are used to in the classroom, they didn't really have. So one of the things that, and then at the end with the state requirements of having the kids take the PSSA testing, you know, there's a lot of instructional time that was spent on giving the state testing and not instructing our students is kind of like, you know, what they really needed. So that was one of the important pieces. And then one of the other challenges, yep, the last thing, it was just mm -hmm. like, how do we make sure that we're meeting the social emotional needs of our students? So our students come to us and especially our English language learners, they come to us, but do we think about all the experiences and possible trauma that they've had 
in coming to this country or to making their journey into this education? Do, have they had any formal schooling from where they came from? Was schooling a top priority in the country that they had come from before or were they just trying to survive? So trying to realize that all of our kids come, so A, they come with different language abilities and then B, they come with these different life experiences and if we don't hold them up or at least recognize the struggles that they've been through then they're not going to be socially and emotionally ready to be able to learn within our classroom environment. Mm -hmm. You touched upon a couple of names of technology solutions, but I'm going to ask anyway if there's others. What virtual technology solutions have been um, or are being implemented to teach English as a new language? So one of the greatest uh, programs that we use is Achieve 3000 with Literacy Boost, and that helps us with um, you know, sentence stems. And it also helps the teacher in forming like our small group instruction and being able to offer each student the same ideas about text, but giving it to them at different levels. We use the Google platform. So Google Meet, Google Classroom, Google Docs, Google Slides, and also the Google Translate became a huge feature for our students. So one of the things that our students learned how to do all on their own, surprisingly, was they learn how to turn on the closed captioning within the Google Meets. And then they change their caption into their own language. So that as they're listening to the teacher who is speaking in English, they're actually being able to read what the teacher is saying in their native language. So kind of like bridge that gap. Um, our kids also, we used iReady, Smart Learning Suite Online, Jamboard, Desmos, um, and then Lexi uh, Core 5 and Power Up. So, we were not short on the technology that we had used within this virtual environment, but all of these pieces, not all of them, but some of these pieces we had used uh, pre-virtual environment as well. Yeah, so that's good. You had some foundational elements at least. Now, I think you touched upon this earlier, kind of the difference, but uh, maybe there's more to go into. Are there advantages to educational technology over print resources for English language learners? So let's think about it, like this isn't going away. So our, if we take anything out of this pandemic in our educational society, it should be that if we go into our back into our classrooms next year and we teach the same way that we were teaching pre-pandemic, then we're doing our kids and we're doing education such a disservice. But let's think about it. So being able to differentiate our instruction for our students. So how do we do that? We do that by meeting with our kids in small groups and then these adaptive programs do it without without even thinking. So we take A, the Achieve 3000 takes a text and it breaks it down into multiple levels. And then the kids are getting real-time feedback about their thinking. So it tells them like, hey, your thinking is right or no, your thinking's not right. Like, let's try that again. And then if they still don't get the answer right, then on the third try, it'll give them the right answer and the reasoning behind it versus pencil and paper okay, I'm going to do my assignment. I'm going to fill in my answers. I'm going to turn it into the teacher. And then maybe a week or two later, she's going to give me my responses back. But my brain is just like not even on that article. I don't even remember what I read two weeks ago, mm -hmm. let alone where my thinking was when I was trying to answer those questions. So that real-time feedback is great for our kids as well as our students being able to take the online text and being able to convert it into their language. So this would work, this works more for your students who are proficient kind of in both languages. So there might be a bit of text that they're not sure of. So they copy it and they paste it into the Google Translate so that they can read it in their own language. So it's bridging that gap 
between academic vocabulary because they know what it means in their own language or if they're looking for a word or a phrase in their language, they can then convert it back and forth. So just having those non-pencil and paper activities for students to do and to become engaged in is really gonna help accelerate our kids' growth. So next I'm gonna ask you about kind of the stages here of targeted instruction and then measurement and monitoring. So let's start with the targeted instruction. How do you target instruction to meet the needs of each student in a virtual environment? So we'll start because it's not a one size fits all. What's gonna work for one child is not gonna work for another child. So we kind of just look at each kid and we assess, we design a program and then we monitor along the way. So we decide which program is gonna work for our students. If our students are still learning the English language and they still need a ton of help around the foundational skills, then they use the core five and the power up pathway because a lot of there is words, word study, sentence structure, grammatical. So they're just trying to figure out and navigate the ways of the English language. But our students who are more proficient in the English language and have a foundation of the way that the sentence structure works, they have some phonics and phonemic awareness and they can make ideas of like, you know, they have a decent foundation of high frequency words, then we'll, they will use the Achieve 3000 program. And that allows them to then focus on the academic improvement instead of the foundational literacy piece. So that's kind of just where we start. And then we look at it. How are they doing? How are they improving? We look at it kind of monthly, right? So has their lexile improved? Has their reading level improved? And then once their reading level improves, how are they handling that? Are they able to handle that with proficiency or do they kind of have to drop back down again? So it's just like not taking that data as a, it shouldn't just be collected and sit somewhere. I have to do something with it. I have to constantly be looking at it and looking at the student, but also more importantly is the student needs to know that data. What does it mean? What am I doing when I'm working or I'm engaging with these adaptive online programs? And then how is my teacher using that to make sure that I'm making significant progress towards reaching my goals? And that's kind of that ongoing monitoring. Like you said, that's required, I guess, for adapting and targeting even more effectively. Yeah, and it's real time, right? It can tell me right mm -hmm. then and there if they're thinking right or if their thinking is not right. And then as a teacher, I can kind of like step back and take a snapshot and say, okay, you know, these four kids just, they're really not progressing. I'm going to kind of like conference with them and I'm going to meet with them one-on-one. -on -one. And sometimes that conferencing is kind of like, hey, I was just being lazy. Or it could be like, I'm really just not getting it. Do you think we could spend some extra time? And then we make sure that we see those students in that small group to make sure that all of our students are growing and to find out, you know, what's that difficulty? And some students, you know, it just could be that there's too much noise happening at home or that their technology is not stable and their Wi-Fi wasn't mm -hmm. stable so that we just continue to move from those things. And was there anything that you found that was surprising about teaching English learners during the pandemic? Wow, they are just so adapted, right? So they just, they just continue to learn so many things. And then some of the things that we learned was that our students, they grew. Like our student population, they really grew. If we looked at their Lexile over time, so we've been using these programs for, for quite some time and over some years. And so in the school year ending in 2019, we had an overall of 89 Lexile points for our student growth. But in 2021, we had 92 points of Lexile growth. So 
that's about a year's growth. So we can say that even though we were in this virtual environment with all the supports that we provided and put in place for our students, they still grew almost a full academic year with learning in literacy by being able to support them with these adaptive online programs. Wow. So how do you suspect uh, students learning English will transition going back to the classroom full time in the fall as most or all will be? What role will virtual technology play to support the kids? So we're going to have to figure out how we continue to use all these tools with our students who are coming back in person. So how do we continue to be able to allow our students, A, to have all their computers out and open at the same time? How do we allow them to use all the features that Google Meet has given us in this virtual environment to be able to translate the language back and forth and just mm -hmm. to be able to make things more accessible for our students? So we see that by going back to one to we plan on going into one-to-one -one technology and then making sure that when we group our students, we're grouping our students by their language proficiency abilities and their academic abilities as well. And just giving them that continued support that they need in the classroom setting, whether that be in a whole group setting with all of the other students as well, or in a small group pullout to continue to get those intensive supports so that their English language proficiency catches up to their non-English language learner peers. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I, I know this is just a snapshot of the work, but I appreciate you joining us on the podcast to highlight the program. It sounds like a great model in a really large and diverse school district that could be looked at and applied to other, you know, school districts of varying sizes and, uh, you know, populations. So I, I appreciate you being with us and sharing this, Danielle. Thank you so much. And it's not just, it's not an overnight fix, right? So it's taken quite some time. And so we've seen improvement in our students and in their literacy achievement over three years. Um, so it's just, it's like thinking about banking. It's that compound interest. So we wanna invest in our students early on so that we can compound the amount of reading that they can do. And the more and more they're able to do, the higher and higher their achievement is. That's a good note, you know, so that, as you say, the districts that might be embarking on some such approach, you know, to think of it as not overnight, it, it's going to take some building. Yes, absolutely. And we've seen absolute improvement with our students. So we went from in our first year implementation, our average beginning Lexile score was in the 300s. And then in our third year implementation, our average Lexile score and the end of the year was in was 679. So almost 700. So that's like, you know, four reading levels of where the av our average students they started at in the beginning, and then they end it three years later. So it's just awesome growth. And it's that growth over time. Rewarding, I'm sure to see for those of you who are heavily invested in it. And I couldn't do it without the strength of our teachers, the dedication of our administration at my school for allowing to see my vision or allowing for to see it work in a different light. Um, and we have, I have a great team of other school-based teacher leaders that work with me as well as our administration. And we couldn't do it without our teachers and our students. And thank right. you so much for allowing me to be part of this today. Absolutely, thank you so much. Thanks. Keystone Education Radio is a production of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Thanks to the sponsors of this episode, LifeTouch, and also our sponsor, Clever. They can be found at their website, which is weareclever, spelled C-L-E-V-R, dot org. 
Visit our website at kiadradio.org for more information on today's topic or past episodes. If you're listening to us on Spotify, click follow so you'll be notified when a new episode is available. Share out the episodes that resonate so your friends, colleagues, and community can tune in to hear about the topics that are impacting public education. This is Annette Stevenson saying thank you for listening to Keystone Education Radio. The views and opinions expressed on the Keystone Education Radio podcast are solely the views and opinions of our guests and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Thank you.